Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Money Talk Radio. This is your host, Nick Augustine. The show is produced by ProServe Public Relations, a national public relations agency serving up law and finance industry public relations and business development. Production of the Money Talk Radio show is brought to you by ProServe Public Relations, funded by our advertising sponsors on these shows. We work hard to bring you new and pragmatic content on both of our weekly shows. We have Law Talk Radio on Tuesdays and, of course, Money Talk Radio on Thursday afternoons, both shows airing at 4 o'clock Central Time. Today's show is Hedge Fund Administration with Amy Zhang. Amy Zhang is the owner of San Francisco-based hedge fund administration firm, Affinity Fund Services. She's our guest today to answer the top seven questions investors might ask about hedge fund administration. Amy is the managing member of Affinity Fund Services, the hedge fund administration firm, again, based in San Francisco. And her, pre- she, her firm prepares monthly accounting records, annual financial statements for hedge funds across the country, and also consults with emerging managers on the startup process. Ms. Zhang is a licensed CPA in California. She's a member of the AI, CPA, and CFA Institute. In addition to running her firm, Ms. Zhang is leads the Entrepreneur Subcommittee at CFA Society of San Francisco. More information about Affinity Fund Services available on their website, which is www.affinitycpa.com. That's A-F-F-I-N-I-T-Y-C-P-A.com. And we do want to welcome our callers this afternoon. We have a great show for you. Our programming, of course, is always as neutral and objective. Your counterpoints are certainly welcome. You may dial 917-889-9732 and press the option 1 to be placed in our caller queue. That telephone number again is 917-889-9732. General disclaimer before we move on, this is a general information program. The advice shared on this show does not constitute professional advice. Communication with attorneys and finance professionals on this show does not rise to relationships. Pro-Serve Public Relations Talk Radio and our shows do not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by our guests. And finally, all callers are confidential and rights this broadcast are reserved. So, uh, moving forward to subject matter for today's program, the media loves to talk about hedge funds, the managers making huge profits, and investor loss of capital and confidence. In this episode of Money Talk Radio, Amy Zhang, CPA of Affinity Fund Services, offers insight into the hedge fund startup process, fundraising capital contributions, and we'll discuss media treatment of hedge funds, when it's a good time to start a hedge fund, the common reasons a manager starts a hedge fund, uh, the business plan, causes of hedge fund failure, the challenges in raising funds, and finally, how much it really costs to manage a fund. So, without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest. Amy, how are you today? Good, good. Um, thank you for having me here, and um, I'm glad that I will be able to talk to your audience, and hopefully I can answer some of the questions that they may have. Wonderful. I hope I can answer it. If not, you can correct me. Uh, sorry. Oh, your your name. Your la- I'm sorry if I pronounced your name incorrectly. Is it Amy Zhang or Zhang? Yeah, you can you can just pronounce it. It's Amy Zhang. Um, well, the Chinese pronunciation is challenging, um, so I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks I for checking. I always ask. So, um, all right. Well, getting going forward, um, I'd first like to lay a little bit of a roadmap for the purpose of our discussion today, and I, I'm assuming that our audience out there has uh, some background and information about hedge funds and hedge fund administration and, and what's happening. So um, we look forward to this conversation. And I'd like to just start off by asking you a little bit about um, the purposes of the show today. Who should know about hedge fund administration and why? Well, most of the people who are um, inquiring about hedge fund administration is usually either the hedge fund managers or investors who are investing in hedge funds. Um, the reason being, obviously, hedge fund managers need administrators 
to provide with uh, accounting records and financial statements. And investor, a lot of times, they ask about the administrators to perform their due diligence on the background of the managers. Hello? Okay, I'm sorry about that. I had a bit of technical difficulty. So you were saying managers and investors should know about hedge fund administration? Correct. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I get what are some of the takeaways from uh, our talk today? What should people, what do we hope to accomplish? Well, I ideally, I would really like people to change the perception that they read about in the media about all those giant um, hedge fund failures or fraud inside the trading. There are um, a few bad ones out there, but from my experience and years of uh, working relationship with people in this profession, a lot of them are working really hard and in this very competitive industry and trying to do the right thing, trying to produce the return, the alpha for the investors that I really want to get the correct message out there to the industry um, and to the public. And only because hedge fund itself, um, it's private vehicle and they cannot um, probably solicit any interest. So a lot of us are really quiet and, and I just want to make sure that we got the correct picture of what's going on in hedge fund industry. Okay. All right. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad that we can clear some of that up. I suppose let's start off by uh, some of the misconceptions um, in the media treatment in hedge funds. I know the things that I have generally heard as a, a media consumer, if you will, are that um, because hedge funds are, are independent and under less regulation, that there's a potential for abuse and hedge fund managers uh, making large profits at the expense of investors and uh, capital kind contributors. Um, what are some of the things that you'd like to say about the media's addressing of hedge fund administration and what are your thoughts? Well, for one, as I mentioned earlier, um, hedge fund is private vehicle, so um, they cannot provide any public offering, any information on the fund or fund manager as purely restricted to qualified investors. And that's one reason why whenever you open newspaper regarding hedge fund, you see um, someone blow up because that's the only time they are legally allowed um, to disclose information about the fund. And the real good performers out there, um, they are actually under the radar uh, for general public. It's usually a limited number of um, investors such as high net worth individual, um, seeders, fund of funds, pension funds um, or maybe like even salvage wealth funds, that they have the access to um, the vast majority of the hedge fund managers. So how does one, how does one start to come because they're not publicly incentive to find someone? Um, if you're interested in finding a good hedge fund, what's a good way for someone to do so? Uh, what will the research process be or just word of mouth? Well, Yes, that's actually the most common way is through word of mouth, if you're a high net worth individual. Um, mm -hmm. And usually the fund manager will reach out to their connection, um, and then they also may post their performance on some of the public, um, not public, I would say, um, on some of the online database. You as the investor have to sign an agreement and make presentation saying that you have um, met the net asset and revenue requirement and you can go into the database and view all this information. Um, a lot of um, institutions such as Morningstar or um, hedgefund.net, they provide such database and you can sort them by uh, geographic location, by the investment strategy, by the returns, by their service provider, by the asset level, and filter it down to exactly what you're looking for. Um, but bear in mind, hedge fund uh, is different from uh, the usual asset managers. So they are really to, um, working on generating the alpha versus an asset manager, they may be looking at your whole uh, portfolio and including your retirement plan, including your, um, college, your kids' college funding. 
hedge fund managers typically don't um, get themselves involved with that. Um, you are the one who made the decision how much asset you feel comfortable allocating to a manager, and their job is just purely generating the alpha for you. Okay. Now, how does it work when a hedge fund, let's say you're a with an individual investor and you uh, selected a hedge fund and the hedge fund goes to uh, your, your company, for example, Infinity, what, what's the process, what basically do you do on the back end from the administrative view um, and, 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 would, and how much of that would that kind of individual investor really be interested in? Well, as a fund administrator, what we do is really working on the numbers and translate um, what the fund manager has been doing on the trading platform into accounting numbers. So we provide the balance sheet um, of the fund, the income statement of the fund, and also the partner's allocation spreadsheet, including the investor's individual statement. So what you would expect as an investor from your, uh, your fund's manager's administrator is you'll be able to see a statement that basically says what is your um, beginning capital balance and what is your capital activity contribution or withdrawal for the current month, what is the net income and losses that's being allocated to your account, and of course the ending balance uh, for your account. The most important thing a lot of um, investors pay attention to is the rate of return. Um, and we provide month, um, current month rate of return, and we also provide yet-to-date, inception-to-date rate of return, so that you can actually um, compare this fund manager's performance with other investment that you have and see which one makes more sense. And if you have multiple managers, um, they allocate your assets to, and it's also a good way to look at that. Um, I would say for an investor, uh, when you look at an administrator, you really want to make sure that she is first independent from the manager um, and this person also knows um, the industry, have the background. Um, I was the as auditor for 30 plus hedge funds before, and I've seen quite a few mistakes that their um, administrators have been doing. That's one of the reasons um, why I started my own firm, is really started doing it right from day one. Um, I think having that knowledge and experience and also from a high level as an auditor really helps me. I serve my hedge fund clients well. Now you talk about some uh, potential things to look out for. If you are, in, if you are, let's say, a manager or you're an investor, what are some things that you should look for in a fund administrator? Um, I would say one uh, from there are two different perspectives. I actually, uh, for one, is talking from a um, manager perspective, and the other one is from an investor's perspective. There are some overlaps in between, but there are some differences, and I will start with the overlap part, um, which is expertise, um, attention to detail, um, experience, and um, a very good response rate to both parties. Um, for some of the smaller hedge funds, um, the ones that I've been working with, they come to me because they have been receiving really bad services from like a bigger um, administration firm that just didn't give them enough attention. Um, so that actually is one of the strong points that our firm provides because we consider um, our fund managers as our business partner. So on top of um, the administration service, we also provide complementary consultation services. So we share our whole industry experience and also our network with them and help them to succeed because we consider that their interest is our interest and we want to grow together with them. And having that partnership um, experience, we become very selective in terms of the managers that we are working with. Um, so if you can find a service provider, including a administrator, um, as a fund manager, you will have a lot easier time to start and run your fund because you'll basically, um, yeah, have another person with years of experience on your team again. And from the investor standpoint, I would say they, they will be more um, concerned about independence issue, especially now that after the Madoff um, scandal, 
um, independent from the manager um, is a must. It's a lot of times people overlook that, and you really need to know how um, that administrator started a business, where their experience came from, whether there's any conflict of interest between um, the fund manager and the administrator. Um, I would say those are the key things that you would need to look out for. Amy, could there also be conflicts of interest between the uh, investor and the administrator? Well, that is a possibility, um, but usually it rarely happens that way. For one reason, the administrator usually don't work um, with the investor directly. Um, we're not engaged by the investor, and we report to them um, on the investor statements, but we usually don't provide any other service to the investors. I will imagine in the case that you're preparing uh, one individual investor's um, individual tax return um, and then serving as administrator, you may potentially run into the problem. Um, but in this um, administration practice industry itself, um, you rarely see that happen. It's usually administrator works solely with investment manager. Sure, and I appreciate the uh, the answer. It's just a question I always I was I'm taught I was taught in law school to look for conflicts of interest. So um, you know we never know where they might arrive. We're going to pause for our first uh, commercial uh, break and an event message. And then we'll be right back with Amy Zhang to talk more about uh, hedge fund administration. So I want to tell you about an upcoming uh, event here in Chicago. Actually, yeah, the event is Critical Financial Estate Planning and Asset Protection Planning: Decisions to Make in 2011. It's sponsored by Today's Chicago Woman and the Metropolitan Club of Chicago. The event takes place from 7:30 to 9:30 a.m. There's a check-in and a hot breakfast at 7:30, and the panel discussion starts at 8 o'clock prompt. Wrap up and questions from 9 to 9:30. And the panelists presenting at the event are, number one, Micheline Gordon, who is an attorney with an LLM. She's a counsel to Anthony J. Madonia Associates in Chicago. She's an attorney and estate planner. who's been working with businesses, individuals, and their families to protect and preserve and transfer wealth for 25 years. She assists clients in developing and implementing their estate planning tools and roles in protecting their wealth through asset protection planning again. Next, the next panelist is Susan Templeton. She is the founder and managing partner of Stafford Wells Advisors, a Chicago wealth advisory firm who works with families and individuals in planning and investing for their future. Ms. Templeton is also a financial logger for today's Chicago woman. Finally, we have Henry Silverman, PhD from Roosevelt University faculty. He's an assistant professor in finance, teaching courses in mutual fund investment, financial markets and institutions, international financial analysts, and investment theory. Dr. Silverman has a PhD in management science from the University of London and MSc in financial management from the University of London, as well as a BA in economics from Northwestern University. Moderator Cassandra Gatto from today's Chicago Woman will also be attending. All attendees who are interested should call 312-626-2916 for more information. Again, 312-626-2916. You can also email rsvptcw at madonia.com. Again, rsvptcw at madonia.com. Again, this event is titled Critical Financial Estate Planning and Asset Protection Planning Decisions to Make in 2011. Now back to our, our program. Before we uh, return with Amy Zhang here, we want to remind you that ProServe Public Relations creates awareness for your speaking engagements, networking events, educational series, and webinars. If you have an, an event you'd like to promote, we can advertise your events here on this show and help you other ways to spread the word. You can give us a call at 312-505-2604 to learn more. Now back with Amy Zhang. Amy, uh, continuing our discussion here, uh, we talked a little bit in our first segment about the media treatment of hedge funds and um, uh, basic a little background of the relationships involved. Let's ask this question: When is a time a good time to start a hedge fund? Well, I would say starting a hedge fund is really, in a sense, no different from starting any small business. Um, it, the timing itself is nothing about age. 
I have hedge fund managers who are um, in their early 20, and I have hedge fund managers in their late 50. Um, I think the time to start a hedge fund really depends on three um, key items. Um, One, um, you have to have your passion. You have to have your passion for what you're doing. It's investment. And you have to have the expertise. Uh, you know, not necessarily have the expertise of investment because if you have um, some complementary like partnership together with another trader or investment professionals that can possibly um, um, be a good team member. Um, and the third part is the economic benefit of it. So if you already have some um, prospect investor that are um, interested in investing with you, and then you have you have look at all the numbers, meaning you look at your fee structure, uh, whether you are charging 2% management fee or 20% performance fee as the standard fee structure, or you're charging something lower to get um, the early stage investors in. And then you also need to look at the cost and decide how much um, funding do you need from day one so that your fund can hopefully last um, without any further funding uh, for the first one or two years because a lot of times new investors want to know whether you have a contingent plan in place. So you want to be sure that you have that funding available on day one um, and then you also have the right team together and you're ready to put in the dedication and commitment into your business. It is... Um, it is like raising a child. You need a lot of attention to it and making sure that you're at the right stage in terms of your personal life and professional life is very important that if you have family, your wife, and your kids are on board with that, um, just make sure that things have been considered. And And then if you think this is something that you have a desire for and it's a, it's a right opportunity for you. A lot of times my managers um, actually are um, encouraged by their friends and family to start a fund. So they got that support um, and that was of tremendous help to them. Mm-hmm. Now what, when we talk about the time commitment, how round the clock is this really? Well, it depends on the fund manager's um, strategy. Um, some of them um, have some automatic um, trading software that they have developed in-house, and some of them, they are really into the value-oriented um, investment. They're actually doing a lot of identities work, um, so that's um, that's another one. And then there's some of them who are really like focused on short-term investments. And depends on your investment strategy that the time you spend on the investment itself can really vary from like trading hours that started in New York and all the way to its end and maybe another two hours just kind of wrapping up and reconciling some of the trades. Um, but what I've noticed, um, and I have to warn <laughs> um, people who are thinking about starting up is in the first one or two years, um, and possibly going down the road, but by that time you can hire more help, um, but at least for the first one or two years, a lot of times you will find yourself being split between um, the actual work, the actual investment work that you're working on, and uh, a lot of the operational, like fundraising and negotiating with your investors and negotiating with your service providers and working on, like, getting your, uh, like, office space, like, pitch book and marketing material, and it's becoming a lot more than um, investment, which naturally is what the fund managers are good at. But you need to have um, the ability to deal with a lot of other stuff. Um, And some fund managers um, have other partners who are working as their operational um, officer. And the ideal setup would be one fund manager who are uh, focusing purely on investment and the other one on operational and maybe some advice and um, information research uh, for the fund manager and maybe another third person uh, in charge of business development and marketing function. That would be the ideal setup. 
And when I, when I look at that, I, I can say, I think of, let's, let's say I'm an institutional investor, I'm a high net worth individual, and I'm looking for fund managers, and I find someone who is a solo, you know, a solo shop and a sole practitioner doing it all on their own. Is that something that people should be concerned about? Is that spreading yourself too thin? Well, I, I would say there's definitely some questions um, an investor needs to ask the investment manager, but also be aware that it's very common for an investment manager to start solo. Um, the reason being, for one, uh, finding a business partner is not anywhere um, so much easier than finding your wife or a husband. Um, it's very hard to come along a good match as a business partner in terms of where the firm wants to be and all that. So a lot of times they would just have to start solo. And um, the men, uh, on the, from investor standpoint, I would say they need to be um, asking several questions. One, uh, what is the contingency plan? Uh, is there an asset plan for the manager in case, God forbid, anything bad happened to the manager? What would happen to the fund? And is there some clauses in the partnership agreement that would protect um, the investors in such extreme cases? And also bear in mind that the fact of the matter that you have a solo manager could be a very good thing because that means that the decision process is significantly shortened. So if there is a good um, investment opportunity out there, this fund manager can just trust on it immediately without going through like layers of decision makers, uh, going through like investment committee, getting approval done, and then finally they place the trade. Um, so you have actually a better return on average for smaller uh, fund managers um, compared to the bigger ones. Uh, the statistic has shown like guys who have asset under management lower than 100 million on average is outperforming those bigger guys significantly. So you have some of the concern, but if those have been addressed um, effectively um, and you're comfortable with the investment strategy that a fund manager has, um, I don't think you should stay away from a solo manager. Okay, well that's a good answer. Um, now in talking about, uh, I'm interested in uh, asking a follow-up and why you indicated that um, asset managers or funds with um, shortly under uh, 100 million are outperforming the uh, the smaller shops, or rather are outperforming the bigger uh, you know, companies. Why is that? Because they have more flexibility in strategy. Well, um, one thing I, I just mentioned is, one, they have a, um, a fast execution um, in terms of getting the market um, trades done uh, without further delay. Because in the investment world, like today and tomorrow, it's a significant difference. And I think uh, last month, August, has been a good um, evidence of how unpredictable the market can be. Wow. So, <laughs> yes, yes, you are getting into risky business for sure. Um, so the ability of the fund manager being able to jump onto decision um, as a smaller fund, that's one of the competitive edge. And the other part um, why smaller funds have a better performance is also because they tend to have like um, smaller, uh, lower um, operating costs. Uh, most of them... Um, including like um, guys who are in the 15 million range. Some of them are just working from their home office. Um, they don't need to hire a crew to, you know, work on the computer and click buy. <laughs> so um, a lot of the operation cost is uh, lower, and they don't need to necessarily go to four of the world for the audit. And um, the administration cost is significantly lower if you're not going for a big brand name. So you have one a good a uh, better return because you're better uh, faster execution of the trades and on the other hand you're controlling your bottom line uh, reducing the cost so it's not very surprising to see that uh, these fund managers have outperformed the bigger guys but at the same time you need to remember that the bigger guys come from other guy at one point most of them. Um, and you will be surprised, like, okay, what's happening between, like, one is that they have layers of operating in place, um, and part of the reason is really um, the regulation requirement, because for a fund 
a fund manager who is managing assets more than 150 mil under the new dot fund rule need to register with SEC, and that means you have a whole lot of infrastructure work. And I was just at this um, um, California Hedge Fund Association event yesterday um, in Los Angeles, and that fund manager, because they want, uh, they went from non-registered um, to registered, and they are trying to secure this big um, investor of fund of funds. They gave an estimate of a good old 350k additional cost. Um, in terms of compliance, additional hire, website update, and all that good work. Um, but then, in return, they're securing a 150 million investment. But I'm just giving you a number and just tell you, like, okay, the cost of getting to <laughs> getting to a different asset level is significant. Right, right. Well, it makes sense, uh, you know, in any industry, and especially when you have new uh, registration like that, Frank. There are so many other things that. Uh, that come involved. It seems like how many professionals I know who say, okay, you want me to practice with uh, one hand behind my back? How about two hands behind my back? And jumping on one foot. Um, <laughs> you know, yes. I hear I hear this time and time again. We're going to take a, a quick pause for our next event message, and we're going to come back, and I'd like to uh, pose a general question of, you know, now we talked a little bit about when it's a good time to start a hedge fund, some of the advantages of um, some of the smaller uh, hedge fund administration uh, and hedge fund management companies. Um, but I'd also like to uh, pose the general question of why someone would want to do this. Uh, you know, it's a, such a, a large commitment there, you know, and certainly the payoff is likely a handsome when you do it well, but it's just like quite a quite a commitment where it's more difficult, as you've indicated, Amy, than usually finding a wife or a family, uh, finding a business partner to do this is, is such an up, upward battle and so difficult. I just wonder why anyone in their right mind would want to do this. And uh, you can answer that question as soon as we come back. And um, so we're going to pause now and I'm going to tell you a little bit about another event taking place here in Chicago. Uh, it is from the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois. For those of you who don't uh, know what collaborative family practice is, mutual financial uh, parties work with attorneys and mental health professionals providing collaborative divorce solutions for those going through uh, their divorce. Uh, the parties actually all agree not to litigate in court. Everything is done in uh, collaborative work outside the courtroom. So if you want to know more and you're in the Chicagoland area, out in DuPage County on September 22nd, the Collaborative Law Institute of Illinois West Suburban Practice Group holds their annual open house. You can come to Carlucci's Restaurant in Lombard, Illinois at the intersection of I-55 I and Butterfield Road from 5 to 7 p.m. where you can meet the attorneys, financial, and mental health professionals who team up to provide collaborative divorce solutions. Guests will include family professionals who want to become collaborative fellows as well as the family law judges from the DuPage Family Law Division as well as some affiliate professionals utilized in the collaborative process. For your invitation, you can email Ms. Connie Walsh at Walsh Financial uh, Divorce and Walsh Financial Services, and her email is Connie, C-O-N-N-I-E, yourfinancialdivorce.com. Again, Connie at yourfinancialdivorce.com. Moving back to our broadcast, we want to remind our listeners to please share our broadcast links in your social networks. Uh, many people find our shows on their friends, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. And we thank you all for your support in sharing our programming so that more can find out about the programming that we bring uh, with our guests. Amy Zhang today of Affinity. Um, and as we get back to our show, um, again, she is from Affinity Fund Services, and Amy Zhang is there in San Francisco, and they are a hedge fund administration firm. Uh, for those, anyone who is just tuning in now, we talked a little bit in the show earlier about the treatment of hedge funds in the media and talked a little bit about the relationships among all the parties and uh, how to get started on a hedge fund. And so now I'd like to find out really why uh, someone would want to become a hedge fund manager and what some of the risks are and for those risks, what are the payoffs? Amy? Yes. Well, what I have seen among a lot of the entrepreneurs, the fund managers, um, there are several reasons, um, and everybody has their own story. But the common ones that I've seen, one is um, they have a different investment philosophy than the investment institution that they worked with uh, prior to startup. 
So they wanted to do their own way, and they feel they have a better um, model or strategy or platform that um, should be provided to the investors. So they want to start their own firm to execute on their own idea and their own plan. So that's one thing that's very common. The other one is usually um, people working from investment institutions before who have been performing really good with with their clients, and at some point they feel um, that entrepreneur urge is really be your own boss and bring over some of the clients um, and generate the alpha for them um, from their own firm. So that are the most common reasons. Um, most of them coming out from investment institution, but I do see some other people who haven't been as actively involved, but they're also starting hedge fund mostly because they have a very industry-specific expertise. Um, I will give you an example, like say someone who has been working in the oil and natural gas industry for years. He may not necessarily be an active investor in um, in the trading volume and all that, but they have um, something unique. It's their background, their in-depth knowledge of what's going on in the industry, and their roller deck, the connections that they have. So they may be able to either have more information than some of um, the other fund managers have, or they may have a better analytical skill towards the same information that's presented in front of them because they can leverage uh, um, their industry knowledge. So they have that um, competitive edge, and some will also start a fund. Instead of doing a volume trading, they may be just like value uh, focus and industry-specific um, investments. And that's also a very attractive investment vehicle for a lot of uh, managers um, and also investors as well because that may fit in really well with their current uh, portfolio. Um, and that's another third one is really like people coming out from the investment world. Um, I would say some people, a lot of people think that um, the general public uh, think that the fund managers are going into it for money. Yes, there may be a few, but I, I would say there's a very low percentage, and actually um, quite a few fund managers just uh, shared their thought on this. is that like if you're in this only for the money, you better forget about it. <laughs> um, because especially in the first few years, it's really it's really not going to be anywhere comparable um, to where you were um, in the big shop um, in terms of the economic benefits, the monetary return. But they also, while we're saying that, they also say that it's the best decision that they've made in their career in terms of different rewards, um, not necessarily monetary return. The fact of the matter, you can't... Um, name your business your own way and own up to all the wins and losses um, in the business. And you don't wait for any decision-making from someone else in another department. And also, you it's a very um, significant, uh, well, what should I put it this way? Uh, maybe if you have heard of the term self-actualization, so you're learning like all the aspects of running a business, it makes you better analyst at the same time because now you are coming in from a business owner's perspective. You know what it takes for a business to succeed. Um, so there are all different benefits that drive um, a manager to start a fund and stick with it. Yeah, so many different, it's interesting how many of the business interests talk about self-actualization and they you know, think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and self-actualization being on the top. Um, and having that full 360 view of what it is and, and why. It gives you the why and the how you're doing it. And I, I have a, a feeling that those who embark on this journey of managing a fund um, are going to learn so much more and look at the entire financial industry from a sort of unique perspective that they otherwise wouldn't have, where so many people are so niche and so specialized and just working with their own, uh, you know, their their expertise in, in specific products, and it really seems to get a very overall uh, global perspective of this. So my, I guess 
the next follow-up question are, uh, what are some retirement or exit strategies for those who are uh, hedge fund managers as they move towards, um, you know, we, we talk about those contingency plans, um, you know, how do you get out? Well, a lot of the fund managers um, usually um, get a fund because it's a partnership, so they usually have a term, like maybe 10 or uh, 15 years. Um, they usually get out of the fund by just pure redemption. They return the investor's money, and they, re- um, they withdraw from the fund themselves as well uh, if they have some of some of their own capital in. A lot of times, they may um, start a new fund um, almost the next month. Um, typical fund managers that I have met in the industry are the type A personality, meaning that they cannot sit still for too long. So they will have to do something with um, the money. And um, a lot of times, they may be actually venturing out and um, partnering up with some other um, fund managers and doing something a little bit different from what they um, used to have. And um, the other times, um, they may just coming uh, like a consultant or advisory um, on a less formal basis to some of the bigger investors or becoming the family office manager, like uh, managing a single or multi-family's money. And instead of being the fund manager producing the alpha, they're producing alpha by allocating the uh, family office or pension fund's money um, to the managers that they feel has the potential. Um, so it, it's either like to become someone on the side as a consultant for a big company, um, or they becoming that um, pension fund or family office manager that give advice in terms of screening managers and selecting managers. Okay, well, uh, so there are all sorts of options. So I suppose you can uh, step away and, and come back and take a look at different things and. Get, maybe different skills or dive into some expertise in the area. Um, sounds like there is a lot of flexibility. Um, and one yeah. of the things that, yeah, so, and, and my next question is about the business plan. And the business plan, of course, you know, maybe they set a 10 or 15 year uh, term. What are some other things that are, that are in the business plan and how much, um, and also your business plan and, and how your business plan may communicate back and forth with the manager's business plan or, you know, are they, what, what intertwined conversations take place? What's all involved? Well, um, I have actually covered this business plan and whole startup process in uh, one, to, one of my YouTube videos, and, and I will be happy to just um, share some of the highlights from that video. Um, the three items I would say you need to consider for your business plan. Um, one is the economic feasibility. Um, the second part is the cost. And the last one being the investment program. Um, one, the first one, the economic feasibility study, is really about your revenue generator. So we are talking about where do you get your funding, who are your target investors, um, and not just people from the day of inception, but also where you want to be. Um, also, where they physically locate will change the structure of your hedge fund um, because. If you have a lot of overseas connections, as some of my clients are, uh, you'll probably need to go through a master feeder fund structure, meaning you have one master fund here and one onshore fund here serving the domestic um, investors and a one offshore um, feeder fund, um, either in BVI or Cayman Islands serving the offshore um, investors. And you need to figure out that part by looking at your contact us and where you want to be. And and then once you figure out your investments and possible dollar amount that you could get from them, and you need to figure out, well, what is your fee structure? I mentioned earlier about the 2% management fee and 20% performance and incentive fee. And that's an industry norm, but that can really vary um, based on the manager's investment skill set. And a lot of times for early stage investors, they will want to have a significantly reduced uh, fee, which is understandable because if you don't have a track record to begin with, they are taking on significantly more risk than investors who come into the shop, say, 
five years later that you have already proven yourself that you are great at what you do. Um, and then the other part is really um, mentioned earlier is the contingency plan. Um, and that comes as part of a like reserve, and also you need to look at your costs um, as well in terms of running the fund. Um, the ones that you can think of, like you could need your rent, your service providers like attorneys, um, prime brokers, auditors, tax preparers, and administrators. You need to look at all the numbers together and then compare that with your uh, fee structure and your asset level and see if that makes sense for you. And then if you feel like, okay, for the first few years, which is normal for a lot of fund managers, that you may have a deficit, that's when the contingency plan will come in help is that, okay, do you have reserve on the side to keep the runway as long as possible? So that you can put on this show. <laughs> That's how I like to see that. It's like you you are the show, you are the center, but you need to make sure that you have a long enough runway to prove yourself um, to the others. And being able to generate the revenue and also control your costs would definitely help with you um, with that process. And the third part. Um, hello, am I still on? Hello. Uh, Nick, um, are we still on for this? Should I call back? Hello? Uh, Nick, I will just call back real quick. Okay, Amy, are you still there? All right. Sorry about that. Hi, Amy. Sorry about that. We had a, a bit of a, a problem with Hello? internet. Hello. Uh, All right. You still there? Oh yeah, yeah. So we are still on. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry about that. Um, I don't know what's there's something going on with um, with the internet signal in the building today. Uh, it's difficult sometimes. There's not much we can do about that. Anyways, we were talking about uh, some of the different things to look at with starting some of these funds and uh, those different uh, things that people can look at. And uh, we're going to pause for our, our final sponsor message and then we'll ask a few follow-up questions uh, such as the causes of hedge fund failure, um, the challenge raising funds, and some other final considerations. So our final uh, our final announcement message uh, is from Market Gauge. Market Gauge is a firm that applies insider knowledge gained from years of professional trading experience on and off the floor, running major money for New York hedge funds and currently managing a hedge fund. Market Gauge's master traders created the powerful proprietary web-based software tool, HotScans, BigView, the Nuggets List, and ETF Monitor. These subscription-based tools have been built for thousands of individual traders as well as institutional clients such as Reuters, Barron's Online, Fidelity, Intershow, and Townsend Analytics. Market Gauge specializes in technical analysis tools and stock tips, as well as the education in swing trading, uh, day trading, and the opening range. Mitch's Market Minute, uh, Michelle Mitch Snyder, is the Director of Training and Education and Research for Market Gauge. She provides in-depth insider, uh, in-depth in, 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 in trader uh, training, as well as market analysis. She's the writer and host of Mitch's Market Minute, and she contributes online trading publications, uh, a series in trading strategy called Taking Stock, and she also serves as a regular contributor to Market Gauge's free newsletter called Market Outlook. So we just wanted to uh, share that with you. Now, as we final uh, round out our show here, uh, again, we're talking to Amy Zhang today about hedge fund administration. Um, Amy, what uh, in the world of administration?
situation. We talked a lot, so much about the hedge funds. What else would you like to share about us that would uh, be good information for managers looking for an administrator, um, you know, different ideas? Uh, what else would you like to share with us? Well, I would say for hedge funds who are looking for administrators, um, make sure, for one, they are a good fit for your fund size. Um, they have the business partner spirit with you, and they know what they're doing. And it's really an experience um, that, you, that you have with a fund, uh, fund administrator that will actually make the difference. Um, it's not just a solution. It's not just a product or services that you're buying. You're buying the whole solution to um, your fund administration needs. We're talking about a lot of investors' requests after the matter of to have a third-party administrator, and a lot of smaller funds and startups they should have difficulty having that provided. At the same time, um, produce the rate of return for the. Um, investors, so you need to make sure that you have a good match uh, for your fund. And the other part is really if that administrator, not just the one who speaks with you, but also the ones who work on your account, know what they're doing. Because a lot of times, if you talk to like the salesperson or um, the guy on the top, uh, they seem to be very knowledgeable with your investment products. They can speak fluently with you about um, the different pros and cons in the industry and all that. Um, but then when you talk to the one who's working on your account, like he or she sounds like she doesn't know anything. And that's one thing that we pride ourselves is really we provide um, only people from acts before, from a public accounting firm who have been dealing with um, hedge funds for years to work on the account, and that's something unique about us. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit about, we have well, about uh, seven or eight minutes left. Um, we can talk about causes of hedge fund failure, uh, the challenge in raising funds, or how much it really costs to manage a fund. Um, what's some good information for, for managers and uh, investors and other uh, administrators out there? Well, the courses for hedge fund failure is a mix. Uh, there, there are some performance risks um, that lead to the failure, like say you just didn't, uh, you were just not able to generate the returns as um, you would have expected. Or there are some cases that your investment program is not able to scale, so at a certain point that you just will not be able to raise further funding because you're investing more, mostly small cap companies so you may have a limit as to how much money you can put into that particular um, company that you're interested in. And I see a lot of times, though, with um, the first one or two years, um, managers fail because of the business risk. Um, not able to raise funding effectively and not able to control business costs and manage the time and be disciplined about the trading. Those are some business risks that I've seen that lead to the failure. And the other third one that attributes to failure is not something about the uh, fund manager. It's about um, the investors. Because I have seen cases where the investors will pull out from a fund manager's um, funds, even though that fund manager has been, has been doing great, like 40% return and all that. The only reason why the investor would do that is because um, they have been losing money on the other accounts. And this is the only cash cow that they have remaining in their account and they want to be able to reserve that. So um, unfortunately for this fund manager, although they're great with what they're doing, um, this investor pull out and they have to close the shop because it's just uh, the majority of the asset allocation is coming from this investor. So that um, concentration investor um, also become one of the reasons why hedge funds close their shop. And and I also touch a little bit on the fundraising part. Um, I would say there are a few things that I see a lot of fund managers have challenged with. Um, one is the communication, the lack of track record, and also the limitation of the connections. Um, I would say the lack of track record is pretty easy. Um, people ask for it, you don't have it, well, that's the end of conversation, sort of. 
But I would say a lot of times, um, a lot of managers can do much better in terms of the communication. Um, it's not something a fund managers normally are naturally good at. Um, they're good with investments, but they're not necessarily the communication or marketing specialist. And a lot of them, because of that whole type A personality, tend to go too straightforward and too direct um, to where they want to go. In communication, sometimes you kind of need to maneuver. And I talk a little bit more about that in my blog article, which is also on my website, um, affinitycpa.com, regarding the art of negotiation, basically. What to do when your investor says no. Um, no, either in case of ask for further funding, no in case of raising the fees, um, what to do with it. Um, so that's something that uh, some of you may have an interest to check out. And I know we're running out of time, so I'm really trying to get as much information out there as possible. And in terms of the cost of uh, and uh, managing a fund, I have this third YouTube video um, as well focusing on that. But I can just give you a preview of what is involved. Sure. Um, it depends. It depends on your investors, for one, because if you're talking to family office, fund or fund, or pension fund, typically they expect you to have um, a much better infrastructure in place, which will cost money, um, and you will have a lot more marketing efforts, time you have to devote it to as well. And it also depends on the size of your fund, because if your SEC register um, or not, that will significantly change your compliance cost, which we um, kind of touched a bit earlier. Some of the work you can do yourself, but for SEC compliance, most likely you will need to have like a CCO, your chief compliance officer, you need to have code of ethics, you need to have risk analysis in place, you have to have your compliance manual in place, which is customized to your fund. So if you look at all this, you will ask, well, well, probably I need to pay extra money for a compliance officer or attorney to work on that um, legal items. So it's really, um, for one, is about your investor, and the other part is your size of the fund, the registration authority that you are with, uh, that will change the cost. For a startup fund, um, and I'm talking about someone who is starting a real simple longshore equity, everything publicly traded, and um, looking to raise funds from only high net worth individuals, maybe for the first one or two years. You're not too concerned about getting involved with the big four as an auditor. Um, I can give you like a brief breakdown, like for for attorney fees. Okay, yeah. you can put aside about twenty to forty. Uh, for the first year, um, that's like um, startup. Um, and for the coming years, though, you would usually have a break because it's just an update or minor at well changes to the existing document. And you will also have your auditor and your preparer, and give yourself about um, twelve thousand to thirty thousand. Um, a year as a budget, and then for administrator, that's something I will encourage you to uh, speak with me directly because yeah. we provide customized um, building for our clients. We really tailor up to their specific cases, and we need an ethical building, so we don't charge um, for items that we don't think add value to our clients. Um, so I will um, hopefully hear from some of the audience um, to this radio show. All right, um, we're almost out of time. Can we have uh, can we have the website again? Yes, uh, the website is www.affinitycpa.com. That's spelled as A F F I N S E Nancy I T Y C P A dot com, and I have a tab there that is. Um, named as how to start a hedge fund, and some of you may find it helpful. 
All right. Thank you so much. We're almost out of time. I want to thank Amy Zhang. I'd like to also thank all of our commercial sponsors and guests for tuning in and listening. Again, these episodes are programmed to entertain and also to bring you information that you can use and be a better informed professional and consumer. With our list and listeners located uh, worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Money Talk Radio, and we thank you all for your time. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.